Welcome to Infinity War and Beyond, the podcast where we stumbled through the MCU by watching one Marvel Studios film each week until we reached the mega epic blockbuster that was Avengers Infinity War. We're currently in the Beyond part of the podcast and I am your host this week, Billy. Now, normally I would be introducing my grumpy counterpart, but Christoph is away at Emerald City Comic Con right now. So if you see him at Emerald City Comic Con, give him a wave, a smile, a high five, a hug. Um, He'll have Tim Tams on him, apparently. So, you know, you can always hit him up for those. Uh, But this week we have the, in air brackets, uh, executive producer of uh, the podcast, uh, friend and fan of the show, Travis. Hi, Billy. How are you? Good mate, how are you? Very, very good. I like the um, I like the executive producer. Not a big fan of the air brackets though, um, but yeah, uh, it is well, a volunteer well, the, position. The, yes, volunteer <laughs> position. It's a volunteer position with no monetary value whatsoever. But so I how get to you... hassle you. Yes, you do. You get to hassle me whenever, whenever um, I forget the name of something. I do get a message um, at like, you know nine a.m. in the morning, the day after the podcast is thing out, and someone said to me, "You missed this. What? Ah, why did you forget the name of something?" Yeah, that that's me. I'm I'm the world's worst fan, I guess. <laughs> no, it's all right. I have, a direct, have... I have a direct line to you. Yes, you Sorry. do. You also help me out with inspiration or grammar check on my uh blurbs for the podcast as well yeah and uh, i think i may have written a couple of them as well i am not answering that question (laughs) i am pleading the fifth um so yeah this week uh we're going to be talking about captain marvel so yeah it came out uh for me it came out well i guess for us because we're both based in australia it came out last week i think similar time frame with the US. I think we only got it a couple of days before them. Um, I've only seen it once so far. I went and saw it with my partner. What about yourself? When did you watch it? Uh, so I watched it yesterday with my partner. Um, yes. What I found was interesting is I think your partner is very similar to mine where they, they're they not fully in, I guess, immersed in the law uh, like yes. we are. We sort of we, we nerd out a little bit more. And so it's interesting to have someone there who, who, who doesn't under, really – understand the backstory and things like that doesn't have that you know huge back knowledge of you know, back i can't remember what you what was i going to say back oh uh, just back catalog. that wealth that, the back catalog yeah and the wealth of knowledge and stuff that we do of of the characters so um it's interesting just seeing if they they pick up the same stuff that we do and sort of seeing how they in, really enjoy the movie without having yeah. any preconceptions of yeah, what it's they're be like. the, I guess you could say, layman's terms. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, my partner, it's great to go with him because, like, it gives a kind of greater sense that, I'm assuming the same with your partner, that, like, oh, so this is someone who doesn't know anything about comic books. If they like it, it's a good film. That's right, yeah, yeah. So we, uh, it's interesting, um, so my partner and I, we, we have sort of, I guess, the same favorites in the mcu uh, despite yeah. uh her having and not having so that that huge knowledge of the huge history of the characters so i guess that's kind of a testament to the mcu and to the people that are making the movies yes yes 
Um, all right, without further ado, let's uh, have a listen to the trailer for Captain Marvel. is for everyone that it's been a while since we had our last episode is context where we give some context on the film like who directed it wrote it uh box office and budget information some rotten tomato scores and from then on we just go on to pickups and initial thoughts now all right so it's the film was directed by anna bowden and ryan fleck um, they're a directing and writing team. Um, they've done the films Half Nelson, Sugar, It's it's Kind of a Funny Story, and Mississippi Grind. I will put it out there. I have not seen any of those films. I'm not sure if you have, Trav. No, neither. I've, I haven't seen any of those. They're mostly drama from what I can see and a bit of like comedy as well, so... It was written by Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, as well as third person, uh, Geneva Robertson Dwarit. Her only prior experience was on the Tomb Raider reboot. She was brought on to help fix that script. Did you watch that film? I did see that one. I'm trying to think of ways that she she could have fixed it. Yeah, I I know. I I wasn't a big fan of it. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, it wasn't, no, it wasn't any, it wasn't like the prior films at all. I will admit that, but I mean, I didn't mind it, but it wasn't great. And I mean, I think it was, it was trying too much to be like the new game, which is actually really good. The new game series. Yeah. So I I played one of those and really, really liked it. Yeah. But she is currently on writing screenplays for, Gotham City Sirens film, which I have no idea what's happening with that. It keeps chopping and changing. 
that the one with, the one. Harley, with Harley Quinn? Yeah, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, maybe Batgirl. Um, I'm not sure who's involved. It changes all every day. I hear something brand new. Um, she's writing this script or screenplay for Sherlock Holmes 3 and also a new Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh, mm. that could be good. Um, yeah, if it it's be... if it's better, better than the last Dungeons and Dragons movie, I'd I love it. I did not I can't even remember if I have watched it, that film. I think it's like been burned out of my brain. <laughs> no, I, I think I saw it as a joke and or maybe as a dare. It was just just terrible. You could see all the influences that went into it. Um, yeah, was, there was a bit of Star Wars in there, a bit of Indiana Jones, I think. Um, it was just yeah, very, really, really obvious where they'd pulled all these references from. It it didn't think stand it, by itself. No, and I think it, I think it starred like the teen heartthrobs of that year or whatever flavor of the month when it was made. So I can't even remember who was in it. No, I, uh, Jeremy Irons was in it, and Marlon Wayans. They're the only two I remember because I think Marlon Wayans was the the rogue. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, if it was anything like the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, that would be mad. Oh, that was such a good cartoon. Yes, a very good cartoon. Now on to like budget and box office. So, uh, so the budget for Captain Marvel was 152 million. Um, and the box office currently is 455 million. So on its first opening weekend, it's smashed the budget, and apparently it is the highest-grossing. Um, I don't know if it's comic book movie like recent years, but on a best opening weekend after Black Panther, I read something about that today. So oh, after Black Panther, that's amazing. Is, it's only been out for three days. I know. Uh, now, obviously, we need to talk about Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, now, do we have to? Yeah. So <laughs> the movie is certified fresh. Um, it's got 80% on on the tomato meter, but 57% on the audience score. Now, Rotten Tomatoes finally have started to do something about their, their shitty people hating... Um, the brigading. Yeah, women being in things, essentially, or, you know, uh, oh, you're screwing up my Star Wars because you're a lady type people um, who usually, like, you know, review a film without having watched the film and say, oh, it's crap. Or they'll repeat. Or I've noticed something they do recently, which is, like, they'll grab a quote that someone who didn't like it has and reviewed it and written a quote and it's you've seen the same words as the same quote posted everywhere it almost becomes like a mantra for them yeah yeah just something to rally around and yeah it's just bad like i think uh before it came out captain marvel had a 37 percent on rotten tomatoes so yeah, I'm, and the- I'm interested to see who was reviewing the movie before yeah, exactly. it came out exactly like, like guys get i a mean life. i I mean, I didn't, myself and Christoph um, and the Geek of Oz people didn't even get to go to the, like, pre- previous screenings. There, was, there wasn't much in regards to previous screenings for this. There was one. Um, the Sydney one got, uh, well, okay, so Goose in the film was played by a number of cats. Uh, 
um, you know, showing behind the red curtain right now. But, um, <laughs> the Marlowe and Otis effect, yeah. Yes. But at the Sydney premiere, there, there, I don't know if it was a lookalike or one of the cats, but there was a goose-looking cat. Um, well, not goose-looking, but a cat that looked like the character Goose um, for people to take photos with at the end of the movie. Wow. Um, that's I, I, yeah, I know. Interesting. I know the cat looks so placid. I don't know how much catnip it had been given or something like <laughs> it was super placid. It wasn't moving at all. It wow. Was very yeah, no, that's, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the, the idea. Like we, we, we go to conventions down here, you and I, and you don't always get like the, the best people coming down to, to these conventions, to be honest. And mm. just the idea of you know, having, having a movie, released down here and having a non-speaking non-human actor yeah be there for the premiere it's it's interesting it's an, it's an yeah it's an interesting gambit yes um, so let's go on to some of the comic book influence so carol danvers the character she was created by uh, writer roy thomas and artist gene colin uh in the in marvel superheroes number 13 which came out, I think, 1967, I read. That sounds uh, about right, yeah. Yeah, and like she was just like an officer in the United States Air Force and a security chief like of a restricted uh, military base where Captain Marvell, the original one, so was working there under his alias, which was Dr. Walter Lawson. Now, she didn't be... In, she didn't get her powers or anything until Captain Marvel issue one, which was May 1968. Now, it's similar to the movie in that she was caught in an explosion of like a Kree device when she was near Captain Marvel, but it was only until Miss Marvel, which was almost 10 years later in 1977, where it's explained how she got her powers, which was like the device which is called a... Psych Magnetron, yes, very 70s type device, uh, caused Danvers' genetic structure to meld with Captain Marvell's, effectively turning her into a human Cree hybrid. Now, she wasn't Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers didn't become Captain Marvel until uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick took over, created, or started doing it ongoing in 2012. So the entire time now, from her initial 1977 like start was Miss Marvel. Um, I think she went under an alias as binary as well when her powers went a bit weird, but she, for the most part, she's just been Miss Marvel. It wasn't until this ongoing series that she became actually became Captain Marvel. And that makes her in the comics, the seventh person to become Captain Marvel after the original, which was Marvel. Right. Right. And I think, just thinking about um, binary, um, that may have happened in X Men. Yeah, because that's the correctly. Yeah, she was a big friend of the X Men back in the day. I, I'm not too versed on my. I'm pretty good with X Men, but not with the X Men being friends with Captain Marvel part. But no, yeah, I like remember the only her sort of no. Yeah, the only bit I sort of remember is her experience with Rogue, and Rogue stealing yes. her powers and her mind and all of that and her struggling to come back from that. Yeah. 
So, like, yeah, Rogue and the X-Men having, like, flight and strength and everything, that's all because um, she stole, Rogue stole Captain Marvel's powers, like, to a point where uh, when she touched Rogue, oh, sorry, when Rogue touched her in the comics, it made her unconscious for quite a few years. Yeah, well, she was catatonic. Yeah. Just completely unresponsive. And, yeah, that's, like you said, that's why Rogue has all those, those the super, superhuman powers and flight and whatnot. Yes. But not anymore, but we're not going to get into... This isn't an X-Men podcast. Um, I mean, we can both recommend an X-Men podcast if you want. Uh, what's the one we both listen to? Explain... Explain the X-Men. So it's Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. Uh, yes. Around about 200 episodes now, but definitely start from the start, and it's well yeah. worth your time. I'm, and I'm pretty sure they touch on like that sort of stuff as well. So, yeah. Look, I, I've read... What's your, okay, what's your experience with Captain Marvel in the comics-wise? Do you, Have you read it uh, much? Not Captain Marvel too much. Um, so I think the the newer Ultimates series, uh, when yep. she's up on a spaceship with Blue Marvel and Black Panther and uh, Photon, who is one of the Captain Marvels, mm-hmm. um, someone else. And just, yeah, just a, that's the, that's the expo- exposure I have to Captain Marvel, or her as Captain Marvel. Um, I have read the entire run of Brian Reed's Ms. Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. And that was 10 years ago, something like that. See, I've read some Ms. Marvel. Um, I've read, I used to read Iron Man when she was like a, a sort of secondary character. She was like the, I guess, friend of Iron Man on his series. Uh, Cause she was battling alcoholism and then, you know, he's, he was helping her out with that. Ah, right. So uh, I thought you were going to refer to uh, Civil War Two. Yeah. Well, then, yeah. I but that that's that's the I think that's the earliest I've read of Miss Marvel, other than the occasional X Men thing. After that, yeah. Once she started becoming part of the Avengers for like Civil War One and whatnot, and then I read some of the. I think I read the first two trades of the Kelly Sudaconic captain marvel but yeah i've read a lot of i've read a lot of teen books that she's in and i've also read that ultimates one and also yeah civil war 2 i wasn't a huge fan of civil war 2 though i'm i'm avoiding it at the moment um as you know i've got a marvel you know a marvel unlimited subscription so i'm kind of floating around in there and just picking and choosing as i go at the moment i may dive into the civil war 2 stuff um but i'm there's just too much better stuff in there. Um, yep. I, I, I should really pick up the Deconic stuff. I think that'd probably yep. be well worth reading and something I should have done before we did this podcast. So I can speak with a little bit of authority, but here we go. Oh, here we are. That's all right. That's okay. <laughs> um, oh, Mighty Avengers. Yeah, she was part she of was, Mighty she Avengers. She was part of that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did read that. That was sort of in the lead up to Secret Invasion. Yes, uh, which she was she was a big part of as well. Okay, so pickups is where we like to discuss like parts of the film that we found interesting and want to expand on. That could be um, scenes, uh, themes, or certain characters. Yeah. So, did you want to start off, Trav? Yeah, sure. Um, I think for me, uh, Fury was absolutely awesome. I think um, Samuel Jackson knocked it out of the park. Uh, the CGI as well to make him 20, 23 years younger than he is in the yeah. current 
um, sort of around the Infinity War. Like that spec, that was done amazingly. I'm really, really impressed with how that was done. I think it's the same group that did the, the that's been doing the de aging through all the MCU movies and yeah, and may they've have done gotten better and better with every movie that they've done. I think this is the most yeah. amount of time they've done de aging though. I think the longest before that might have been the start of oh, the start of Civil War um, when they de-aged Robert Downey Jr. Yes. And there's that good scene with him when he's uh, you know, supposed to be 19 years old or something. Yeah, no, look, I really enjoyed Fury in this. Uh, I mean, we see Fury, he's very, like, he's not his gruff Fury from that we love and know. Uh, he's not. He's a, he's, he's a happy pe- pencil pusher. Yeah, he's a happy pencil pusher. I mean, he doesn't know much about aliens and stuff like that. I mean, as the movie goes on, we we like you know he he's finding his feet. He, that's he's he's you know trying to figure out what he what he has to do in the world uh, and and at Shield especially. And then you know his experiences with Captain Marvel lead him to want to you know protect the Earth. That's right. Yeah, and it it leads into yeah all the Avengers movies and everything that comes after that. Um, yeah. I mean, I did like look, the. Oh, so you go. <laughs> no, no, no. I was going to say, like, I mean, he is a little bit like he's not. I don't know. He's very like. He's more trusting, and I mean, because what was it like? He trusts his superior, and straight away, like, you know, he mentions that he's at a certain base with Captain Marvel, and that bites him in the butt. And you know that that sort of learning experience is very much like you know don't trust everyone yeah just that scene where he's talking to his boss in the elevator and um yeah he he sort of just gotten done uh yeah. jay or nicholas joseph and then yeah it's that scene in the elevator with with ben mendelson who again another amazing actor and yes. yeah ben Mendel, what was his boss's name keller i think um yeah. so he gets in the elevator and goes yeah oh, thank you nicholas and just the he does the trademark sort of Samuel Jackson half turn and looking behind him like the the, the mm. same what? And he's also testing out a new A field agent as well in Phil Coulson. He is new to Shield, Phil Phil Coulson, who he sees great great things in, and a full head of hair on uh, on uh, Phil Coulson. Yeah, to be honest, I'm actually a little jealous of that hair. <laughs> um, there's a scene with them dry. I know it's a bit of an Easter egg when usually talk easter eggs at the end but there's a scene with the two of them driving uh and it's very pulp fictiony because of is it, uh is it the same car i mean it probably is the same car i don't know um but i mean it looks like it but yeah we're in pulp fiction samuel jackson's um fuck what's his what's his name in um Jules. Jules, that's it. Uh, Jules and John Travolta's Vincent Vega. Uh, Jules Winfield. So, yeah, Jules and Vincent are driving along in the... It just looks like... The way the camera angle is and everything, it just looks like a scene at a... Well, sort of nodding... A slight nod to Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and so kind of what I noticed through the whole movie is a lot of it looked like it was... It looked like they tried to uh, make it seem it was filmed like it was in the 90s. Yeah, which is great. I mean, so, and the yeah, film... camera angles and stuff like that. Yeah, and as we um we haven't mentioned it, but yeah, the film is set in 1995, so it's set in the past. I got yes, like 23 I years some... before Infinity War. 
I did. Did you notice? I mean, I haven't because I haven't watched it on a second time around. They don't actually say like 1995 in the film, do they? They don't. So they they talk about um, the accident that makes Carol into Captain Marvel happening in 1989, um, yeah. and then they talk about it being six years later. No, oh, she's come back. Or oh, she was gone for six years. Yeah. So they don't explicitly say it's not like a, they threw 1995 up on the screen or anything like that. It's it's heavily heavily implied, and you can you can sort of get that feeling from what's happening in the background and posters yeah, and, and the music as well. Yeah, I know. It's just, yeah. I don't know. Part of me feels like eh, maybe just chuck in a 1995 or something. I don't know. Part like my I had some friends and um, like my parents ask like when was it set? Yeah, so I I kind of knew it was roughly set in the the nineties, and so when um, we were watching, and my partner sort of leaned over and she goes, "Oh, this is nineteen ninety five. Like she's you know done the maths straight away. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, look, I mean, I mean, we find out how uh, Fury gets his famous scar and eye and eye patch. I love the running joke well. of that. Yeah, like you think, oh, it's this, oh, like something that just happened. Oh, okay, that's how he's going to get his eye cut. No. And then it's another thing. Nope, it's not that. And then all it is in the end is Goose scratching his eye. <laughs> well, should we talk about Goose? Yeah, all right, let's talk about Goose. All right, so Goose, uh, so in the comics, Goose is a cat called Chewy, um, named after Chewbacca, um, changed in the movie, changed for Goose, who's named after Goose from Top Gun. Um, Goose isn't Carol's cat. Goose is the good doctor played by Annette Bening. Uh, what was her name? Uh, Dr. Lawson. Dr. Lawson. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so it's a yeah, similar so it's, sort of uh, um, alias as uh, Captain Marvel Captain in the Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Um, and her name is actually Marvel as well. So I think she is Captain Marvel. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so Goose is not an actual cat. He's a flurkin. He's, he's a flurkin. Um, and do we want to spoil sort of what happens with these special uh, flurkin well, powers? Look, uh, I mean, if people are listening by now, they look, I mean, there there's going to be some spoilers with this podcast. So, look, I mean, uh, he's an alien, which, you know, he opens up his mouth and it's almost like, squids and Cthulhu and tentacles type. and yeah just horrendous noises and yeah he just basically eats whatever is in front of him so obviously when he scratches something it's probably slightly venomous on his uh talons or yeah like and claws. i just that's right yeah and I, I just love the bit where yeah fury just loves this cat and he's always picking the cat up and always patting the cat and um the scrolls are terrified and the scrolls think yeah, the scrolls scan him and it picks up that he's a flurkin, and there's no real indication that a flurkin is some sort of alien monster. It's almost like it's it's just what they call cats. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and so when he gets his eye scratched, and he's like, ah, yeah, it'll be fine. And the scrolls are in the background, go, no, yeah, no, you're, you're <laughs> fucked, mate. You're fucked. But, but yeah. Um, yeah, he just he loves that cat. He loves that flurkin. Yeah, I'm just curious if if um, Goose is around still. Yeah, I'm not too sure what the um, I mean, how it's long hard. a flurkin survives it's, for. Yeah, I mean it's hard to like show them now. I mean, well, I mean in the earlier films, but like it'd be interesting if Goose is around now mm, and in current yeah. films. Well, we don't get to we don't see Nick Fury's house 
We haven't in the last 21 movies, so he could be there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he might be in Avengers Endgame. Ooh. Goose versus Thanos. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, All right. Speaking of uh, Thanos um, and Goose, we we see the Tesseract in this film as well, which is interesting. We do, yeah. So I, I came out of the movie thinking, oh, hang on, I've found a pothole. I don't know if you thought yes. that as well. No, yes. I did that as well. So, I mean, so you find out that there's a power source being used by uh, Marvel. Dr. Lawson. Yeah. Dr. Lawson to help the Skrulls. So the Skrulls, look, I mean, the Skrulls are meant to be are coming off across as bad guys in the film. But, you know, spoiler, like at the end of the film, you realise that they're not actually the enemy the Kree are. And, well, I mean, there's two sides to every war. but There is. It's almost like the Kree have won the Kree-Skrull war at this point. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Lawson has been trying to get a sort of group of refugee Skrulls to a safe planet that, away from the Kree. And they were, she was going to use uh, the Tesseract as a power device. And, faster than light drive. Yeah. And the thing is, like, from what I've read, um, I mean, we know from Captain America, first Avenger film, at the end of it, Tony Stark finds the Tesseract at the bottom of the ocean. And Howard Stark does. Well, sorry, Howard Stark does. And it's given to S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I'm just going to assume that it was given to Project Pegasus from S.H.I.E.L.D. to look into it. Um, and then it was stayed with Project Pegasus and then Dr. Lawson used it. And then, you know, Goose swallows it up. And then um, it, it's stuck with Fury until he vomits it up. That's right. Um, yeah. So... Coming out of that movie, so I, I actually got something wrong, shockingly. Um, so I came out thinking, hang on, they they pulled the Tesseract up around about the same time as Cap, and I had that stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. And I thought, so hang on, and I'm trying to do the maths. I'm going, okay, so they've pulled up the Tesseract before 1995, so Cap's probably on ice somewhere. But I went back through, and like, in the original Captain America First Avenger, they, they do get the Tesseract pretty early on, like before Cap, I think it's just after Cap's crashed, Howard Stark does pull the Tesseract yeah. up and they, they've, they've lost Cap for 70 years, whatever it is. So I'm, I'm happy to call that one me being wrong. Yeah, I'm just going to assume that, like, look, a S.H.I.E.L.D. gave it to Project Pegasus to use and then... They probably did. That's it, yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about Captain Marvel's team? Ah, uh, yeah. So when... When she's on the Cree side, so the start of the movie, she's she's very much a Cree uh, alien or just a, a member of the Cree, and there's about yeah, five she, or so other people on her team. Yeah, she's part of this Cree unit called Star Force, which are meant to be like a an elite unit of Cree warrior heroes. Yeah, and at this point, she hasn't actually gone on any missions with them as yet. Yeah, this is her first mission. So there's uh, Jon Rog, uh, who's played by Jude Law. Yeah, and that's the leader. Then there's uh, there is Minerva, 
who is played by Gemma Chan. Um, she's like the sniper of the team. In the comics, Minerva is actually a, like she's a villain. Um, she's a thorn in the side of Captain well Carol Danvers. She's like a she's like a super scientist, Cree scientist that so she almost does a lot of stuff with genetics and creates monsters and stuff like that. Then there's also I'm trying to figure out he was in um. That's it. Uh, Yimon Honsu, who plays the role of Korath, who was from... Oh, he's from Guardians uh, of the Galaxy. That's it. <laughs> yes, he's um, he plays Korath, who in Guardians of the Galaxy is Ronan's second in charge. He's two IC. Uh, in this yeah, one, he's, he's like part a, of Star Force. And... Yeah, he's less of a cyborg in this one, whereas I think... He, he is. Yeah, you got like an upgrade uh, between now and... Uh, into the 23 country. years yeah in that 23 year gap he's got those uh, the cybernetics implanted in his head um, yeah and also part of the team is Atlas and Bron Char both played by Alinjus Perez Soto and Rune Tempty yeah look I mean in the comics they're mostly like very low tier villains I mean if you look them up on wiki there's pretty much nothing to their name Star Force though Star Force is an actual like team of um it's an always been like a sort of super villain team and it's mostly filled with like Cree villains uh ronan the accuser was part of it dr minerva i mean um some other ones korath the pursuer um would you say it's some sort of suicide squad yeah i mean i guess you could say that but i mean i think they i mean they were like they're not suicide squad as such and they're like they work for the Cree, so it's like a I mean, we would call them supervillains, whereas, like, you know, the Kree would call them, like, an elite team of, you know, great people, heroes. Right, right, yeah. So they're not actual, like, enemies of the Kree that are banded together. So they're not... No, they're organised by... They're not Freedom Force. Yeah, they were organised by, like, the Supreme Intelligence, which I was... I was interested... I was... That's another thing I wanted to touch on, the Supreme Intelligence. So in Kree comic... Well, in comics, the Supreme Intelligence is, it is like a big, like, artificial, he, he rules, a, it's an artificial intelligence that rules uh, Kree. Yeah, it's artificial intelligence made up of all their elders. I think it's, as the elders merged die, they become, they merged into this AI. Yeah, and he's, in the comics, he's basically a big head in a jar. With tentacles coming out of it, and like, I think like four eyes. Whereas in this one, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. It takes the shape of who, I mean, means the most to you. Yeah, which I thought was kind of cool. Now, Jude Law's character of uh, Yon-Rog. Yon-Rog has always been around in the comics as a thorn in the side of the original Captain Marvel, so Marvel, And he was very much... He hated Marvel because he loved someone that Marvel. Um, was interested in, you know, as that's like stock standard villain mo one hundred and one. But he in the comics, he's also like one of the reasons uh, Carol uh, gets her powers. He's the one who like shot the device that sort of exploded and then merged Captain Marvel with her transformation, like you know, merging with Marvel. Right. So he so he shot the Sark Magnetron. That's it. So, and I mean, in this, we slowly, in this, at the end, we find out that, you know, 
I mean, Carol did it herself when she shot the thing, but it was, I mean, it's, he's the one who shot down um, the plane and Marvell. Yeah, I kind of like that just... gave her a little bit more agency when she wasn't just passive, you know, passively waiting for him to, to do something. Yeah. And look, I mean, I like it. Jude Law is, I usually find a bit stiff, but I don't know. As he's gotten older in his older age, he's like, it's like he's found his second coming of becoming, you know, I'm enjoying all the movies he's been in. Like, I mean, there's this, I haven't seen the, the Harry Potter pre- prequels, but I've heard he was good in the last one as young Dumbledore. And I mean, I've enjoyed him in the, uh, this, oh God, what is it? The, I was, I mentioned it the other day the, earlier, sorry, the third film, uh, the Sherlock Holmes films. I enjoyed him in the Sherlock Holmes films. Yeah. I thought he was a really good Dr. Watson in that. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I mean, I'm hoping we see more of him. Like, I was going to mention this later, but uh, Kevin Feige recently said that because of the end of the film until uh, Avengers Endgame, there's about 23 years, there's like 23 years worth of stories that could be written or filmed. There's, I mean, there's at least two Captain Marvel films there of, you know, her fighting in space. So who knows yeah. if we see more of uh, Jude Law as uh, Yonrog. Yeah, and so I think that's, that's probably a very good chance of that happening. Um, and just while I'm thinking about it, I think um, a lot of people have sort of been complaining that this is, you know, this is a, a boilerplate Marvel origin movie, and it's really not. Uh, if you look at the origin movies for you know, Iron Man, Captain America, stuff like that, um, the villains die in those Um I know Guardians something of the galaxy. Like... So so Ronan Ronan is killed, and in this one he's not. Yon Rog is yeah. not killed in this. Yeah, I love that. Like, you know, I want more villains to like not die. Like, I mean, even in like uh, what is it, Spider Man Homecoming, the Vulture's still around. I love that. Mm. And it's it just makes the universe a little bit more richer. You know what? I'm I'm I'd be keen for more space Captain Marvel films. Oh, 100%. I'd be down for that, yeah. Yeah, and um, more Jude, Jude Law as Yonrog. Yeah. Do you want to just have a quick chat around that last battle that they have? Yes. Uh, what do you mean? Um, them flying away from b- flying back to Earth? or Yeah, so um, they, the, the final battle that they have on Earth. Um, so this is Captain Marvel and Yonrog on Earth. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's basically been defeated by her. He's crash landed on Earth, and he's trying to arc her up and say, "Look, yeah, just drop your powers and let's let's go one on one. We'll find never been able to beat me. One. Yeah, yeah, and all that sort of trying to arc her up, and she just goes, you know, I've got nothing to prove, and punches him as hard as she can into a mountain. I love that. It's like, whatever. Why? Why do I have to prove something to you? I don't need to prove anything. Exactly." I thought that was a really good message from the movie. Yeah, and also it's like, you know, I'm not being rude, but it's kind of a message to the dickheads who don't like the film. Um, I don't have to prove anything to you. You don't like the film? Fine, don't like the film. It's It obviously wasn't being made for you. That's right, and there's no reason why they why they even needed to say that if you're just going to shit on the movie. Sorry, yeah, can I say exactly. that? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, <laughs> I don't get you no, look, I mean... Like, yeah, look, I need to, yeah, I mean, I needed to say something about that. Like, I just, I don't know. I find that some people, 
Look, I mean, there are some things about the film which I can understand. Like some people have said pacing has was a little bit of an issue, but I mean, that's just fellow uh, friends who are reviewers or critique, uh, critics have said, which I can understand. I mean, there's always going to be like not completely perfect points of the film, but a lot of the, the, the negative stuff I've been seeing about the film, it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like I saw someone complaining about how she got her powers. I mean... Like we That's, just it's almost it. comic it's, perfect. Yeah, exactly. I mean, instead of Yon Rog shooting it, she shot the engine. And I mean, yeah, it wasn't an she's... engine; it was a psych magnetron. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks. Yeah, and in the movies, it was a it was an engine powered by the Tesseract. So she's actually powered by an Infinity Stone. She's powered by the Space Stone. Yeah, like I mean, I think it was like a. Oh, it was similar to how, um, what was it? Uh, so, like, how the, uh, Hydra made uh, Tesseract weapons. So, it was, yeah, an engine exactly. ma- it was an engine made with Tesseract energy. Yeah, and she's sort of got that, that filtered energy uh, embedded in her DNA. And then yeah. later on, uh, Yonrog talks about giving her um, or donating blood to keep her alive. So, she's got Cree blood in her, which is why she's bleeding. Um, there's a bit of like comic book hand wavy sort of. Okay, she's got alien blood in her now. What has that done? Yeah, exactly. No, like, you just accept it. There's no point. I think mean, no point during the movie where I went, oh, you know what? I this just isn't working for me. And at no point did I sort of look at my phone and go, oh, is that the time? Yeah, look, I never did that either. I was going to say, um, speaking of time, um, in keeping with the time period, there was a lot of very nineties sort of music and i mean it suited the 90s well like i've talked about this with christoph before and my colleagues do on other podcasts sometimes when people do films set in the 80s or 90s or like even in the past it can be it can be it can feel a bit too much like overflowing like sometimes if you only have to put a couple of things and it feels like the 90s you don't have to like yeah make it shock full. And I think this did that. Like it made it feel natural, not over overpowering. Yeah. And like I was saying, like they don't tell you what year it is at all in the movie. Um, you sort of, you get that from yeah doing a little bit of maths based on their conversations and like the references in there, like she's, she wears a nine inch nails t-shirt for a lot of it. I think in one of her flashbacks, she might be wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt, so it's sort of 89-ish. I think it was yeah. a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. Um, and you see lots of um, placards and a movie, po- um, sorry, band posters and stuff like that up on walls. Um, mm. There's a few old ones there. Um, and in, in the blockbuster, so, yeah, she does crash into a blockbuster in the trailer. That's in the movie. Um, and she ends up shooting a True Lies standee. I love that. That was good. I liked that very, very much. Mm. Oh, just one thing on the music, though. Um, so I, I generally liked the music. Um, it was, yes, same. I guess, the, the music of my teens, uh, which is kind of showing my age here. Um, one thing... Mine I, as well. Yeah, one thing that didn't really work for me was um, in the final battle where she, where she sort of came into her powers and started beating on the rest of the Star Force. Um, they played Just a Girl. Yeah, look, I mean, no I liked doubt. it, but I yeah, I liked it, but I also didn't like. I thought like another song could have been used there. 
yeah, something with a little bit more pep. <laughs> Terrible word for it, but yeah, like it, it, it was like it was a good song for the movie, but not that scene. And it's yeah, like yeah, a criticism yeah. for me. No, it's alright. No, I get it. Like I, I thought music was used great, um, like where it was, but yeah, that one. Yeah, that scene. I thought something else could be used, but I mean, I don't mind. No doubt as well either. Yeah, that era, no doubt, is they they did some really really good stuff. But just in that scene, in that moment, it just it didn't work. Trev, what did you think of uh, Maria Rambo? I thought she was um, good. I think she was a really good friend for Carol. Um, one thing I picked up though, um, I think it's in the trailer as well, is that her call sign is Photon. So and her daughter in the movies is Monica Rambo. Yeah, and, and so in, in the, the comics, comics Monica Rambo. Um, is she's a previous Captain Marvel and then eventually changes her name into Photon. So I like that there was that, that little nod there on that. Yeah, like in the comics, her powers are like she's made of energy and light and can shoot blasters and whatnot and can travel. But um, yeah, she took the mantle of Captain Marvel for a while and then she went through a few other code names as well. And I think currently she is Photon. Yeah, and so her her mum. So in the movies, her her mother being Maria. Um, I like that she wasn't just um, another person, just to just to sit there and just you know riff on um, Carol's past or whatever. So she sort of helped her out with a bit of her memories, but then became like an active part of the movie from that point on. Yeah, was, yeah, I love that. Like she was just gunning and flying everyone home. There was part of me that was like, oh god, I hope she survives. When she, oh yes, <laughs> when she when yeah, she says ahead. she's gonna go and like help Carol save the uh, scrolls, and then like, oh god, please let her get home. Yeah, just like her her daughter egging her on, going, oh yeah, yeah, you, you should do this, and like, oh, is she gonna see her daughter again? Is her, uh, is her daughter gonna see her mother again? But they do, they they come back together in the end. Yeah, yeah, and. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know if we'll see her again. I mean, I mean, Carol doesn't seem to have aged in 23 years, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, but um, I don't know. Maybe we might see her in 23 years' time, or maybe we'll just see yeah. Monica grown up. So she might – well, Monica would be, what, 23? She was, what, roughly eight years old in the movie, you reckon? Yeah. So she's in her 30s. Yeah, she's definitely in her 30s. Be cool. She had powers, but um, mm. or got powers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we need some heroes. So who knows? We need more Marvel films. We do. Um. All right. So what did you? I was going to bring up the scrolls. Look, I mean, I was always wondering how the scrolls transformation was going to uh, appear on screen. So I mean, in the comics, they do kind of look how they are on the. Um, movies like I mean, green screen screened, uh, sorry, green skinned aliens, but their transformation in the comics it's almost like it's like it's a, snap a bit, of the bit wobbly. Yeah, it's like a snap of the fingers, and then it's almost like it's almost like sort of I don't know. I guess you could say like it just they just start changing, but it doesn't look like how they're doing it here. It's almost like the way Mystique is. In the yeah, movies. where they kind of start and they yeah. So I what I really liked about this one is that it's almost they it's not like um with Mystique in the comics, she kind of like 
like feathers ruffle and she turns into like a new person. Whereas in this one, like there, it's almost like scars yeah. appear on their faces and stuff like that. And then it sort of burns out and becomes the new person. Yeah. It's like their skin unfurls and changes and whatnot. I don't really, I really liked it. I like yeah, it. Yeah. I thought it was a really good effect. Mm. And I mean, there were different types of scrolls as well. Like, you know, muscle dudes, um, Obviously, brainy. Do you think that was a super scroll? I don't or know. Like a, a prototype super scroll? I'm curious about that. Because, I mean, the other thing is, like, I mean, Carol says in, in the movie, scrolls don't have powers. So who knows? But, I mean, the, like, in the comics, you see, like, you know, the scrawny scrolls are usually scientists, and they had a bit of that. Yeah. In the, the, um, oh, the, the, science, well. the science guy in it. Um, oh, what was his name? It was. Isn't it Bill Nix. Nye? <laughs> yes, Norex. So yes. Norex, the science guy, not Bill Nye, the science guy. So Norex was great, and I, I thought he was really good in it. And there's a line where um they they're trying to figure out where Marvel's ship is. You know, the humans have already figured out that oh look, it's it's a point in space, and it's yeah. it would have moved in the last six years. And um, Telos, who is Ben Mendelsohn's character sort of looks at the other guy and goes oh how how come you didn't figure that out you're, you're supposed to be my science guy <laughs> yes that's great he's a little bit embarrassed uh, yeah um uh, what i was gonna say is um what did you think of talos i loved him yeah i thought he was great um sort of i thought he was going to be like a, a mustache twirling villain and he sort of comes across like that in the start where he's you know, he's captured captain marvel and he's like ripping through her memories to try to find something he's trying to figure out who um oh uh dr lawson really was yeah. or trying to find out where dr lawson or where dr lawson was um and yeah it has obviously chained up captain marvel upside down to try to figure out this um and then yeah chases her down when she escapes and yeah shoots her and then when um when they meet again on the farm and it's just like almost like a 180 with his character. He sort of he becomes very sympathetic. I think yeah. Ben Mendelsohn played that really well. Yeah, and also I love the fact that when he when he is a scroll, his natural accent is Australian. Yeah, so I I thought it came across a little bit British as well, but that might just okay. be be me listening wrong. I did have a note yeah, here just to I ask mean, you about that. So it's, it sounded it sounded a little bit. British, like I'm usually, you know, used to hearing the the Aussie accent in film, and it just sounds like a couple of bricks in a washing machine. Um, yeah, look, from what I've read, um, he was asked, like, "Oh, can you do an accent for you as a scroll?" And he's like, "No." Nah. <laughs> yeah, fair. That's that's a good response. No, I'm not doing it. Nah, nah, or not like, doing it. Just yeah, nah. Yeah, but um, like Ben Men- Ben Mendelsohn is like it. He was. He was like full Mendo in this. He was like, yeah, it was like a dude from an Aussie crime drama when he was playing uh, Talos, and I loved it. Yeah, he was he was really good. Um, I just, oh, um, I was trying to think of this. Oh, this one bit where he starts talking about, um, oh, should he go back to being Keller at the end of it? And then I think they sort of, the general agreement was, no, you, you can't do that. And he talked about missing um, Keller's eyes. So, yeah, Ben Ben Mendelsohn talking about his pretty eyes. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, part of me is like, ooh, 
secret invasion. Yeah, that's ah. Oh. So um, at the bit where he's talking to the scroll corpse, and then yeah, starts sort of talking about oh, is, this is this is one of the scrolls, and I sort of turned to my partner and went, oh, secret invasion. Like, uh-huh, they're already yeah. here. <laughs> so yeah, that, that nerding out, and she just looked at me and went. No, just I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, um, I mean, even Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige also said, I mean, look, there's good scar, there's good scrolls and there's bad scrolls. There's good Kree, there's bad Kree. So who knows if there isn't going to be another, uh, like you know, a secret invasion type thing. There, there might could be. be. Yeah. So the the scrolls in Secret Invasion were a Splinter group. Um, just a. Yeah, I guess a bit of a detour there. So they were like a religious, a group of religious fanatics. Yes. But as scrolls. Yes. Um, so what else? Uh, we talk about was, Captain Marvel. Yeah, I was about to say, let's talk about we Captain haven't Marvel talked about, We haven't talked about Captain Marvel in Captain Marvel's movie. Yeah, let's say, we're saving the best for last. <laughs> I always do true, that. True enough. Yeah. Um, look, I loved Brie Larson. Brie Larson's portrayal as Captain Marvel. I think she was warm, friendly, um, even like, you know, when she didn't know her memory and she was a Kree soldier, she looked like she was having fun, which is not the usual norm for a uh, superhero film. You know, superheroes have to be brooding. That's it, yeah. And so, like, she wasn't, yeah, even though she was missing yeah, most of her memory, she wasn't someone who was just, you know, sulking around or, yeah, angry about it. Or, and she wasn't a blank slate either. No, she was, was just really cool. getting shit done. Yeah, and when she was, when she was just barreling through the scrolls at the start where she had those things on her um, hands so that she couldn't actually use her powers, and one of the scrolls comes up and just yells at her, and she just turns around and yells right back at him and just goes in for the punch. I love that. That was fucking hilarious. That was, that was a- I mean, I saw I saw it in the trailer, but even then, like, it's it was funny in the movies as well. Yeah. Should we talk about how I don't watch the trailers? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. You do that. You don't watch <laughs> no, I, I watch the teasers and I go, "Yep, that's enough. I'm definitely going to watch this." Yeah, I'm, and I keep forgetting yeah. about that, and I send you links <laughs> to the trailers. You do, and I'm like, "Yeah, that that's nice. That's that's that link is remaining blue." Um, yeah, like I, I get enough out of the teasers that I sort of get a feel for how the movie is going to be without spoiling any of the story or any of the major sort of set pieces. So I can Look, go I in mean, pretty fresh. I mean, I'm going to say I'm not going to watch the next trailer for Avengers Endgame, but I probably will. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, of course I you will. I can't help it. I felt like... I don't know, like hesitation going into this film, but I was curious how it was going to go down because, I mean, as we've both discussed, I mean, I haven't really read a whole lot of old Captain Marvel or Miss Marvel, um, or and I've only read the stuff of her being... In, I've only read a little bit of Kelly to Pseudoconic and mostly the team books that she's been in. But I thought it was great, and I really enjoyed Brie Larson's portrayal as Carol and also as Captain Marvel. I thought she was, you know, one of my new favorite characters. Yeah. I thought it was, it was, wasn't going to be a huge epic of a movie coming out of infinity war. That's, that's end games 
deal. Mm. Um, but we we had to set up. I say we. They had to set up who Captain Marvel was and why. Um, yeah, Fury had paged her specifically. And I think it did a really good job. Yeah, and I mean the relationship between her and Fury was great in this film as well. It did feel like a bit of a buddy cop drama at some parts as well. It did, yes, yes. Um, I just I like that they did bring in the pager that he uses yes. in at the end of Infinity War. Yeah, and he takes um, his pager and soups it up. Yes, here it is, souped up. Emergency uses only. Yeah, and there's a couple of times where he could have actually used it in the uh, in our MCU timeline. Um, so there's when the uh, Chitori invade in Avengers, and I was thinking maybe when Ultron is attacking, uh, sort of the two big world, yeah. possibly world-ending things. But what I sort of I talked myself out of it. Um, so. Fury's whole deal is that he wanted humans to protect themselves. Yeah. And this is why, yeah, at the end of the movie, he he starts plans for um, a new team. We can talk about that, I guess, much, much later. Um, yeah. So it's all about, yeah, humans humans protecting themselves and humans looking after themselves, which is you know, why he didn't call her in for those two moments. All right. Well, on that note, do you want to talk about some of the Easter eggs in this film? Yeah, let's let's do a deep dive there. Okay, so I already mentioned that Pulp Fiction one earlier on, but there's another one as well, uh, where Talos, uh, when he's as Talos, not as um, the human that he's masquerading masquerading as, um, he's drinking from a like a takeaway shop drink cup that uh, Samuel Jackson's character uh, Jules where he like he's drinking from the person whose burger he's just eaten a bit as well. The guy's tasty burger. And he asks the guy, look, can I have some of your tasty beverage? And he drinks it. <laughs> that's that's a good a good pickup. Yeah, yeah. Well I didn't pick I didn't really notice it until someone else pointed it out as well. So it's, I'm not laying claim to finding that one. Uh, what's another Easter egg that you've you found or uh, so we we talked about Maria Rambo's call sign. Um, the other one that I sort of picked up was when Carol um, runs into that biker and has a quick chat with him, and then she steals his bike and steals some leathers. I thought that was like a nice nod to Terminator Two. I remember the Terminator that. thing. Yeah, and she all. she drives away on that bike. It, it's probably not the same bike, but I just went, oh yeah, she got his clothes his boots and his motorcycle yeah and it's something she steals i think she actually steals the clothes off a mannequin in this in captain marvel but yeah that the it's there there's a reference there one thing i thought was cool was that um in the train station scene where she's looking for the scroll that was on the train that she lost and then she's like runs into the terminal and is looking amongst like you know humans you see her brush past a human, and it's uh, Kelly Sudaconic. Wow, I I completely blanked on that. I didn't notice it was her. Well, well, someone told me she was going to make a cameo, and I didn't know where it was. But then, like, I think because my brain, part of my brain was like trying to keep notice of it. I saw it. It's a bit of a blink and a miss, but yeah, she's in there as well, which is kind of cool. Oh, so one thing I I guess it's not really a, an Easter egg so much as. Um, 
someone makes reference to her costume being something from Laser Tag. Um, you know, 1995 Laser Tag yeah. was huge. I don't know if you had like the big Laser Tag mm. things up in Sydney no, that we had. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, it was huge. Okay. Well, it's not really an Easter egg, but I mean, Ronan and the other accusers, we never really saw the, we only saw Ronan, we never saw any of the other accusers, so it was kind of cool to see all yeah. the, like the two of them on the ship. So he kind of ends up becoming some sort of religious fanatic by the time that um, Guardians of the Galaxy rolls around, but it was it was interesting to see them being, I guess, I don't want to say regular Kree, but just, you know. Just a couple of military dudes with their big ships bombing the hell out of planets. Yeah. Something else that I thought was cool was there was two other cameos in it, um, but I only read the, know about this because I read up on some of the film. There was real-life Air Force pilots Matthew Spider, Kimmel, and Stephen Cajun Del Bagno appear as themselves in the film. A bit of a... Um, I guess you could say posthumously, Stephen Cajun Bill Del Bango uh, died a couple of months before the film's release, though. I mean, I like that, that they had some some real Air Force people there or former pilots being cameos. Yeah, so like, I, think Brie, I think Brie Larson had spent a fair bit of time with them talking about flying and, and whatnot. You know, life yeah, trying the to base get... As part of their yeah, character, character trying to get Yeah, trying to get in the mind of a... Uh, what a fighter pilot is. You were going to mention one that, uh, some sort of list that, uh, Fury was creating. All right. So this is, all right. So this is more of an end credits type thing. Um, are we going to dive into those credits? Oh, the, the second one we'll isn't do, so great. Yeah, but we'll do this because, uh, this wasn't in the credits, was it? Uh, mid, the, mid, mid credit season scene. Um, no, no, no. I was I think, thinking about. Oh no, sorry, no. This is like this is sort of near the end of it, wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Fury starts writing up a proposal for uh, the Protector or Protectors Initiative. Yes. And starts talking about, yeah, you know, we we need our own team of people who will be able to protect the Earth from various blah 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 blah. blah. And he's typing away on his ancient computer, and then he starts flipping through um, Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers' uh, file. And he opens up, opens it up, and he finds a photo of her standing next to a plane and her name and her call signs on the side, and it says Carol Avenger Danvers. And so he mm. smiles a bit and then just types away on the computer. And I think credit to them for not doing like a, a cut to the screen or a pan up to the screen or anything like that. We we know what it's going to be. And if you've watched the other 20 movies in the series, you know what he's written. He has written the Avengers Initiative. Okay, so was there any other um, Easter eggs that you've noticed? No, I think or that was Easter it for me. Yeah. Yeah, I was the same. Um, there wasn't much else that I could see or notice. I mean, I only have watched it once. Yeah, no, I think that because it was, um, I think it, it really worked that it wasn't bogged down with a lot of references to other movies. Yeah. It was um, a lot more standalone. Yeah, I was going to say, let's jump into the post-credits. So, post the first, as per like Marvel formula, the post-initial credit scene, uh, the mid-credit scene, is usually something for the next film or next Avengers film in some respects. Um, or even the next film in the franchise sort of 
Marvel MCU, so to speak, sometimes. Uh, this time it was for the next film, which is Avengers Endgame. And similar to uh, how at the end of Ant-Man, um, it showcased a sort of scene almost that we had that seemed like it was part of the middle of a film. Um, we got a sort of scene from Civil War. So we've gotten a scene from Endgame in this, and it's everyone looking at the pager and sort of yeah. trying to, like it's it's been beeping and also trying to get a signal out. And then like it loses power. So they're all, they're all of a sudden trying to, you know, boost it up back again to, I think it's, so who's there? It's Steve, Natasha. So Captain Marvel's there, Black, uh, Black Widow. So you're going to go with the civvy uh, names. I'll go with superhero names. And Yeah, yeah all right. Um... So, yeah, Captain America's <laughs> there, Black Widow, Hulk, and War Machine. Machine. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, you know, that it's still beeping and that, you know, it's just about to lose power and then it does. And then it's like, oh, look, we got to get, you know, we got to get power to, back to it and everything. And then all of a sudden they turn around and Captain Marvel's there and she the first thing she says is, where's fear? Yeah, and her um, her hair is a lot longer. Yeah, I've noticed the first that. thing I picked up. So, yeah, they've, she hasn't just you know, remained exactly the same for 23 years. Yeah, and years. her costume looks a little bit different. Yeah, I, I didn't pick up on that. Um, I probably would. I probably will when I watch Endgame. No doubt I'll, I'll watch Captain Marvel again before Endgame comes out. Yeah, no, look, um, I'm excited for it. I'm keen for Endgame. Um, I wonder if we'll get a mini, like, superhero battle just then and there, trying to figure out who Fury is. But I don't know. I feel like <clears throat> Captain the, this Captain Marvel isn't the type to just go in gl- guns blazing. No, no, she's a, she's a lot more clever, a lot more craftier. She's not one just to, but, just to uh, look, bash on. Hey, we also don't know what's happened in the past 23 years. Well, there is that, yeah. Hmm. So it's um, interesting to see what happens. Yes, and as per Marvel formula, the end credit scene was something comical from that film, and it was set in the 90s, and it was Goose, who is living now with Fury, and in his Fury's office, even though he scratched his eye and caused him to lose his eye. Cat person. Yeah, but He's we also quite obviously a cat person. We also forgot to mention that there was a scene when when Fury was typing up that Protector Vision uh, initiative and then Avengers initiatives thing. Like there was a scene where uh, Coulson was like saying, showing like Coulson was there and there was Luke Fury was looking at a couple of different fake eyes that he could use. They look so yeah. creepy. They did. They really. They looked. Terrifying. Um, and Fury at this point has has a patch on his eye. It's a, a temporary patch, but it's it's a patch. Yeah, and he's told everyone that it was like a whirlwind and that like nothing to do with the cat. Yeah. Well, he he doesn't mention the cat in Winter Soldier. Um, so there's a bit right near the end of it where um, of Winter Soldier he says, "The last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye." Oh, no, yeah, about halfway through the movie. Sorry, and um, yeah, and it's kind of funny that like the last person he trusted was an alien cat. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we'll find out what happens. Well, hopefully, we'll find out what happens. But because Goose um ate up the tesseract, he pukes it up on Fury's desk, like he you know, coughs it up like a furball. And I thought that was great. He he 
goes at it for a while as well. I thought it's well, not like a oh he just coughs once and it comes out. No, he's if you've ever seen a cat work a furball, he's he's hacking he's, it up. He is, yeah, yeah. I thought for a second like a, a half-eaten Cree was going to come out as well. I kind of yeah, I kind of thought there might be an arm or something that'll come out, but yeah, it's probably a lot cleaner just to have the the tesseract and yeah, that's how Shield ends up with the tesseract. Yeah, so that was the end credit scene. Now, on to our, well, not mine, but uh, Christoph's favourite part of the podcast, Stan Watch. So, Stan Watch is where we discuss Stan Lee's cameo. Now, obviously, in the past, far, far out, when did he pass away? It Was it six months ago? I uh, would have been about that, yeah. Yeah, so about six months ago, Stanley has passed away. Uh, did pass away. The last couple of years of his life wasn't the greatest. Do it actually? I think we've mentioned it on the podcast the past couple of times about some of the stuff that's been going on. You know, he was kind of taken for a ride. Yeah, money and whatnot at old age. You know, taken for a ride. But he did get joy out of doing these cameos, and I think he filmed a few cameos. I don't know if this is the last one he ever filmed, but it is my favourite, actually, out of all these cameos. Yeah. It it does some interesting things to continuity. Yes, it does. Do you want to explain this scene? <laughs> sure. So this is when um, Captain Marvel has burst onto the train. She's chasing a skull. She runs up. She jumps onto a train, fights her way in, and she walks past Stan Lee, and he's got the script for Mallrats in in his lap and he's, yep. he's rehearsing his lines and you sort of, you hear him, hear him sort of, I guess, mumble. Oh, I didn't quite get it all, but it's something, something true believer. And it's, it's been a good couple of decades since I've seen more rats. So oh, yeah, I don't remember same. the exact line. Yeah. So you just sort of hear him mumble true believer. And it's like, Oh, yeah, oh he has a and full on, he has a full on dialogue, uh, like a big thing. He's explaining, stuff to one of the characters in the mo- in that movie. Yeah, right? to, to Brody. And he starts talking about, yeah, love and um, how he used comics as a way to, to get over love and things like that. And starts yeah. referencing, um, like, um, Fantastic Four issues, like this man, this monster, and, and things like that. So he's got a quite a big monologue. And I just thought it was funny that he's, he's rehearsing this one line over and over. Yes. So apparently um, this scene, um, so apparently this scene reduced Kevin Smith to tears. Yeah, I I've read that this morning. Yeah, I saw the the, um, the 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 Instagram. He posted like he mentioned that like you know for years he's been referencing comics in his films, and finally a movie referenced him, a comic book film referenced him. Yeah, and it was Stanley of all people. Yeah. And, um. So so more rats. Um. So Mallrats, Seddon Mall, there's a comic book shop there where they sell Marvel and DC comics. And now we're saying that Mallrats is now part of MCU continuity. Yeah. Think we can comfortably say that? Yes. Yes, we can. Well, I mean, Kevin's... Uh, yeah, oh, God, that makes Kevin Smith part of Marvel continuity. God. It does. But it means that there's, there's actual comics of the, the Avengers and of Captain Marvel and stuff like that. All right. Uh, then there was the other cameo, which I did not uh, expect. Um, so the Marvel opening credits, like the the scrolling Marvel logo, 
that only got changed, I think, maybe about four movies ago? Yeah, yeah, it's about that. Um, So it's sort of the grand old projecting scenes from the movies onto onto the various sides of the Marvel logo as it kind of spins into view or trails into view. So they did that, but instead of um, scenes from the film being projected, it was all of Stan's cameos being projected on there. And it was very much like a thank you, Stan. Yeah, and there's a little dedication that appears after that as well, where the logo fades to black and a little dedication pops up before the movie mm-hmm. movie properly starts. What do you think of that logo? Do you prefer the old logo? The, like, where it shows various comic book scenes? Or this one? Oh, um... I've I come prefer to like the old this one. one. Yeah, oh, there you go. Um, so, no, I I quite like this. It's, it's really dynamic. Um, and yeah. as I've seen, like, they, they can throw whatever they want on the um on the various facets of the Marvel logo as it comes into view. Um I, I dig it. It's sort of them going, look look at how far we've we've come. Whereas mm-hmm. I think with the old one it's more like, yeah, we've got seventy five years of um source material and here's some here's some scenes of it as it flicks through a few of the pages. So they okay. they both have their pros and cons, but I, I just I re- for the MCU, I like the new logo. Okay, all right. Um, They've established now, themselves. Yes. Now, Christoph and myself usually end this by doing another final segment, which is, if you like this, read this, which is, if you liked Captain Marvel, we then recommend some comics that you think you might enjoy. So do you, you want to start off, Trav? Sure. Yeah, so as I said, I haven't read any of the of the Captain Marvel or the, the Deconic and everyone else run that came out in 2012. Um, yeah. So my my main exposure was on the Ms. Marvel run by Brian Reed that came out, uh, I want to say about 2006 or 2008, something like that. Mm-hmm. Until I've done I've done my research. Um, and various artists on that, and it's sort of want to kind of call it the definitive run, but like I. As I said, I haven't read a lot of other stuff about her. Um, so it's basically all, it's 50 issues of Miss Marvel as she goes from just being uh, just an everyday superhero and she starts to get involved in all the other events that are happening, like Secret Invasion. I think there might be some Dark Rain stuff in there from memory. Um, but it, it doesn't derail the book at all, which is normally what happens when an event comes out. Yeah. So it ties well, pretty well with that. Um, and sort of uh, oh, uh, I think it actually crosses over with House of M um, at one point, but eventually yeah. it sort of comes into it, it gets its own. Uh, oh God, I can't remember the word for it now. Uh, mm. So it says, okay, here she goes. Okay, I need to be the best hero I can be, and yeah, she gets a bit of exposure as being she's actually Captain Marvel in the House of M, uh, which is like an alternate reality where Magneto rules the world, and you know superheroes. Uh, or mutants and everything sort of come up really well. Um, But yeah, she's Captain Marvel in that. And she comes, and once reality resets, uh, she remembers that reality where she was Captain Marvel, where she was the greatest hero in the world. And she kind of, she starts working towards that. So I I really dug that run. And then it it leads into the Captain Marvel run that I haven't read yet. Yeah. I might mention a couple more. 
I mean, I think it's worth reading like the original Captain Marvel as well. So just maybe the first, like you could probably find the trade just because that's where Carol sort of makes her first appearance as well, which is from the, so it's from the sixties. Um, you can probably get it digitally. Yeah, um, I, I haven't sure checked, it but is it's, probably is on, it's probably on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, which is Marvel Unlimited is a subscription service where you get access to, do you want to say, I don't know, because you and me try to find books every now and again and we can't find them. So possibly about 90% of the Marvel's library. Yeah, about that. And then every week they, so basically they're, they're six months behind um, their print versions. Yeah. Um, but then they'll also throw in like a dozen new, um, older comics. Yeah, so they're oh, slowly yeah, just, just a whole increasing. New season. So they are, they are, and there's like so the only problem I have. There. The only problem I have with Marvel Unlimited is the service can be a bit sluggish. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's it can be a bit rubbish. Like it, it logged me out last week, and I took two days. It took me two days to get back in. Um, yeah. So it's not super stable, um, but there is about twenty five thousand comics on there right now. Yeah, honestly, sometimes I'll go to read one and then it'll I'll look up at, and I'll be have reading for about two three hours. It's, yeah, I, yeah, I get the same thing. Like you, you deep dive and then you start unpicking. Like I, I burnt through um, Moon Knight in I think three days, and that was pretty much um, uh, I think it was Warren Ellis onwards without mm-hmm. Bendis's run. Um, yeah, like you can just read and read and read and read. You know, and you're paying like a fixed. Uh, monthly fee for that. Um, yeah. I read all of Amazing Spider-Man, um, starting from Dan Slott's run onwards, and mm-hmm. well, that took me that took me a couple of weeks because you get to a point where it starts branching off into um, there's spin-offs and there's the events and things. Once you get into the events, and it's like, oh, you're not reading just Spider-Man. You've got to read you know, these six other comics, and you're reading those. You got to get yeah. through those, and it comes back into Spider Man. So, like, there's a lot of, a lot of really good comics in there, and you can just read for hours and hours and hours. And well yeah. worth the money. Mm-hmm. Um, another series, or another storyline, I wouldn't mind mentioning is uh, it's the Cree. So it's Avengers Cree Skull War. It goes for about ten issues. Um, and it's Avengers Volume 1, 89-97. You can possibly get it digitally and in print as a trade. Um, another m- series I wouldn't mind mentioning is the Kelly Pseudoconic uh, written series Captain Marvel, which is Captain Marvel Volume 8, one to f- I think it's 1-15. to 15. Um, You can get it digitally or in trades. Um, and also, while not Captain Marvel, but I wouldn't mind mentioning the current Miss Marvel series uh yes with kamala khan yeah so miss marvel started in 2014 and the character is kamala khan uh she's a pakistani american from jersey city new jersey uh with shape-shifting abilities almost the size of like it's almost like uh, I guess Mr. Fantastic but different like she can shrink and go large or flatten and everything like and stretch. Uh, apparently, she's got the healing factor as well. But she took on the the role of Miss Marvel, um, and it's almost like Captain Carol Danvers, because Carol Miss Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers at Miss Marvel was one of her uh, idols. 
And so every now and again, Captain Marvel, like Carol Danvers, is in the series every now and again. Um, yeah, she pops Kamala... in about two or three times. Yeah, because Kamala goes to her for advice every now and again as well. Um, and yeah, that should I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite series at the moment. Well, it's been since it started in 2014. Yeah, it's one of my favorites too. G. Willow Wilson's a fantastic writer. Yes. Now, I think that's it for us. Um, yeah, thank you very much, Trav, for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you, Christoph, for not being here. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can you can catch me, myself, on Twitter. Uh, I'm Aqualek on Twitter. Christoph is The Weekly Geek. Uh, you can also catch us on Facebook, uh, Geek of Oz, or on on Twitter, Geek of Oz. There's also the podcast uh, we're on to infinity and beyond where you, or you get all your podcasts. Where can people reach you if they want to see more of you, Trav? Right. Um, so I'm on a self-imposed Twitter. I don't want to say banned, but I'm, I'm off Twitter for a little bit. Um, yep. But if you, if you message me on, uh, if you message me at the beerzilla, that's Z-I-L-L-A. Um, I'll say hello back. Um, I'm hanging around on Instagram with the same account. So, yeah, yeah come say hi there. Um, or I'm on the Facebook. I'm usually hanging around on the Geek of Oz pages, and I'll post there every now and then. And if you see me there, say hi. Yes. Yeah, so with that, um, we've only got a couple of months left until Avengers Endgame. Cannot wait. I know. I'm hanging for it. Yes, same. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Bye.